Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. Today, Wednesday, March 25th, we're bringing you another special edition of the Actus podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. My name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists. I'm your host for today's program, Clinical and Coding Considerations of COVID-19. Before I introduce our guest today, I did just want to extend uh, my uh, heartfelt best wishes to everyone in our audience. Um, as I've noted on last week's show, we are going to be, the show is pre-recorded today and we'll, we're going to be sharing this as soon as we can with our audience. We know a lot of you are currently struggling um, with working at home conditions, with uh, all kinds of issues with uh, knowing many of your colleagues on the front line, front line of care, uh, and we're dealing with obviously a very fluid, uncertain, and unsettling situation with the with the progress of this uh, pandemic. So, from Actus, we really do hope you're all doing okay, and uh, stay in touch with us. We're going to be sharing some news a little bit later in the show about how you can do that and how we can best help you get through this uh, the coming weeks here. So I do want to introduce our, our two special guests for today's program. Uh, you should be seeing on your screen at left, we have with us Don Valdez. Uh, Don is a clinical documentation integrity education specialist for, our here, uh, for us here at HC Pro. She serves as a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps, as well as a subject matter expert for Actus. By way of background, Don has more than 20 years experience in the healthcare industry, including ICU nursing, legal nurse consulting, and was also a nurse manager for a large third-party administrator for which she initiated a nurse audit program. You probably have seen Dawn out and about. She's given numerous lectures on healthcare-related topics over the last two decades, has been on this program a few times, and I'm very glad to have her back to talk about uh, an important topic today. So welcome to the program, Dawn. Thank you. All right. And joining Dawn today, uh, come here with us is Angie Comfort. Angie's an RHIA, CDIP, CCS, CCSP, and CICA, and is the Senior Director of CDI and Coding Operations for LifePoint Health in Brentwood, Tennessee. Angie has uh, 30 years of experience in HIM coding and CDI. You may recognize her name prior to joining LifePoint. She was the Senior Director of HIM Practice Excellence for AHIMA. She's a member of the Tennessee Health Information Management Association and is the MT-HEMA president-elect. She's spoken as a subject matter expert for local, national, and international engagements. She received a Bachelor of Science in Health Administration from Stevens College, MBA. And uh, as I understand it, she's also working on her doctorates, which is pretty awesome. So uh, welcome to the program, Angie. Thank you, Brian. Okay. Again, I, I want to thank both you guys for taking some time out of your day uh, to join us for this uh, special edition of the Actus podcast. Our programming has been turned upside down as we uh, try to address from the CDI perspective um, COVID-19 and all its various implications. Uh, and especially you, Angie, you know, you're, you're working uh, 
know, as the um, as the senior director of CDI for LifePoint. And um, just for the background, Angie ended up on the show because she's uh, been to our CDI leadership exchange, was on some email exchanges with a number of leaders from across the country about some of the impacts that uh, COVID-19 is having on their day-to-day -day CDI operations. So I thought this might be a good place to start, Angie. Um, you know, how, how has the coronavirus slash COVID-19 impacted what you're doing day-to-day? Uh, -day? You know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot about folks uh, keeping their staff at home, um, some are still working in hospitals, but but many of them have sent their staff home, which has brought with it a number of challenges. I'm hearing, for example, that uh, CDI programs have changed the expectations they're having for, for physicians in terms of response rates, especially if they're very harried and busy with treating this, this, uh, this new wave of patients. So maybe you could kind of set the scene for us a little bit in terms of what is, what's been going on uh, at LifePoint. Absolutely, Brian. Um, when this all started happening here in the U.S., uh, you know, as a company, LifePoint put together a corporate COVID-19 little task force that involved several of our um, executive leaders and our CMO at the uh, HSC, our, our corporate office. And so they started, you know, immediately trying to determine what we needed to do for our facilities out in, in the field. We have 88 facilities nationwide with over 130 CDI employees. So once they started doing that, I started thinking of things that, you know, we may have to do with our CDI program. Um, currently, we have a, a little bit of a hybrid already in place uh, before COVID-19. We were, uh, some of our facilities were completely remote. Some of them were completely on site, and then we had some that were kind of in the middle. Um, since the COVID-19 pandemic started affecting our hospitals, we have put in place some initiatives surrounding what we expect from our physicians. So our physicians, um, you know, they have their standards that they have to meet, they have the query response times, they have all of those types of, of things that we expect from them from our CDI program. However, um, we wanted to make sure we could alleviate some of that uh, CDI work and have them on the front lines doing patient care. So we sent out a correspondence that asked them to stop any type of uh, educational sessions for our physicians. Uh, these were anything from, you know, sending out pamphlets with DRG tips on them or coding tips on them, a diagnosis tips. We asked them to stop that as well as um, in-person or virtual physician education that we are doing company-wide. So we stopped all of that immediately and have started to postpone those to after we can, <laughs> whenever that may be. Um, and additionally, we asked them not to escalate unanswered queries. And that is so contrary to what we do in CDI that um, it was sort of received with open arms from our physicians because, it, again, it alleviated the burdens that it caused so they could be on the front lines for patient care. 
Um, That's interesting. It's a moving target. Yeah, it's going to go against all the grain of what you do (laughs) in CDI to not (laughs) escalate the query, but makes sense. It was so hard. It's so hard to change things that we have gotten into place and have started working really well. Um, So it was really kind of hard to do this. But, you know, we have to have our physicians there for our patients. That's what, you know, our, our motto is at LifePoint is, you know, making our communities better, and that is all surrounding our patients. Um, So we paused those actions. Um, Additionally, um, I told the CDIs that we would definitely be evaluating other areas. There may be um, areas that are in need inside the facility that the CDI nurses are able to be pulled and help. We don't know exactly, you know, what that entails at this time. I do know some of the HIM staff has been pulled to help with screening, um, screening patients before we shut all that down. You know, we don't allow people into the hospitals anymore <laughs> unless you're a patient or, or one visitor. So um, there's just so many revolving doors surrounding COVID-19. And, and again, CDI is right there in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, appreciate the... Uh... The ground floor view of things at LifePoint, Angie, that's very helpful. Um, so today's show, we're, we're really going to focus more on the sort of the clinical aspect, the clinical presentation of COVID-19 patients and some of the, what we know, I should say, about the, the coding uh, guidelines, the new code U07.1 and, and how that groups. We'll get to that in a little bit. I definitely did want to start with the with the clinical aspect. Um, and Dawn, I thought we could you know, start with you here. Um, you know, you put together, actually, I'm going to go ahead and, and pull this up on the screen, a great resource for, uh, it's not just ACTUS members, as we made it freely available to any CDI professional. Um, and I'm going to share this with the audience. So I've navigated to the home page of ACTUS. So if you hover over resources and then free resources, um, and we're going to be, we'll share the direct link in our newsletter CDI strategies we have here. CDI COVID-19 Survival Toolkit, Common Clinical Indicators. Um, and this is a, about a 2,200-word article that Dawn had written for us, and we're happy to share with, with all of our members. So pulling that up here. But, um, you know, Dawn, as you're talking, I, I'm happy to kind of scroll through this. But... Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the some of the common diagnoses and, and conditions often seen in these patients, their presentation to the hospital, and then uh, what you've done. I, re- I really like about this piece is you sprinkled a lot of sort of critical CDI thinking tips in here um, as we go through this. Yeah, so I've been talking to various people in various states with their hospital system to see what they've been seeing. And in the beginning, when I was talking to people, pneumonia, if you want to go to page two on this, Brian, pneumonia was the number number one thing. And it still is going on there. And then, of course, we have the acute respiratory failures, the ARDS, all the lung-related things. The one thing that I'm not hearing much about from the CMS on the coding side is the viral sepsis with organ dysfunction. Uh, Leukopenia has been mentioned by pretty much everybody that I've talked to. In fact, uh, the AVP of Ardent CDI programs, Adrian Younger, was 
telling me that she was really surprised at how every patient was presenting with leukopenia. So that's definitely part of this viral sequela. And then, of course, we got to, you know, with the pneumonias, the respiratory failures, the ARDS, the exacerbation of the COPDs, and a lot of these patients are already, you know, they have comorbid conditions in the lung area, so they're brittle. Um, the vents, people are being intubated, obviously. You've heard the calls on the news about the call for more vents. I think 3M's making some and various other, even auto dealers or auto um, places are making them that make parts for the cars. And then we're seeing the cardiac involvement with, I'm going to throw in demand ischemia here. No one said that, but I don't see how we can have cardiac injury and infarction without demand being in the middle of all of that and muddy in the waters. So those are the main things that I'm being told are being seen, and they're pretty big hitters on all levels, every one of them. Um, I think for CDI, you know, listening to Angie and what we have to do in this time period for the patients, you know, it really does put us in a quandary as to how it's a fine balance. We have to take care of the people, and we also have to survive as an institution, which is, you know, where we rely on our CDI specialists so much. So the query process, with everybody being, you know, moved to the home environment, away from the providers, we need to leave them be. They're in the trenches. We have hospitals that are not seeing that many patients, and then we have hospitals that, are, you know, they're just in the war zones. So it's a wide variety. So what I'm standing, you know, strong in is CDI skills are going to really pay off now. For those who have learned their clinical indicators, who understand the pathophysiology, that understand that each patient comes unique with their history that is going to make, you know, similar cases a little bit different. So in other words, we can't just go by a hard number because it's a clinical indicator. The whole thing needs to make sense. And a lot of CDIs have been working on that very hard, you know, getting that patho down. And I think that's really going to pay off now. And, you know, because there's going to be a rush of a lot of critical patients in certain sectors, we have to remember, look at what body system is taking up the most resources. Where's the focus of care? It's probably going to be on the lungs. And then the second question is, how are the other body uh, systems reacting to that? And just go body system by body system. The reason why I say that, Brian, is because of, I'm going to bring up what Angie was talking about. The physicians are in the weeds. Their time has to be on patient care right now. They're not going to be that concerned about documentation during this crisis. So we've got to look for the clinical indicators, the signs, the symptoms, and the story. You know, we got to tell the patient's story. we got to look for those holes in that. And that's where, you know, I hate to even say queries right now, but that's where the query process is going to come in. POA status is going to be a factor, as well as sending queries for clinical indicators, signs and symptoms that are not being named. They're not being diagnosed in the documentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've, you've got a lot of great material in here, Don. I'm just kind of scrolling through on acute respiratory failure, oxygen saturation levels. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a tricky aspect is if pneumonia is due to uh, COVID-19 is a viral infection. 
Um, right. So really, and that is tricky going from simple to, you know, to complex. We've got to watch that. But ARDS is really taking the forefront right now. And that's a, a condition that a lot of people don't know a lot about because on this everyday basis, we don't see that that often. Right. Um, I have never care of an ARDS patient in my clinical days in the ICU. I've never seen an ARDS patient without being ventilated, nor have I heard of that, but I'm, I'm assuming it's possible. Um, I don't think it's going to be the norm by far. I think that's going to be the most critical patient. Their sequela is very sudden. Um, it encompasses respiratory failure. So you think you're treating respiratory failure and all of a sudden they just take a nosedive and they take a quick turn for the worse. Because what's happening in an acute respiratory um, syndrome like ARDS is that the alveoli, there's a lot of chemical mediators going on whenever anyone has an illness. And that's where the SIRS response comes in. Everyone's heard of this by now with the sepsis sequela. But what happens is these chemical mediators wreak havoc on the, they, they leak proteins. And that interferes in the alveolar itself, which is where gas exchange happens. And then as it progresses quickly, pressure builds up and there's a bursting of the alveoli. And so I wanted to provide clinical documentation specialists with a cheat sheet that they can just pull up on their desktop, go to the condition, and just some, you know, common reminders of different things with each type of uh, disease that we're talking about here or condition that we're talking about here, the CDI tips, and then the critical thinking piece. Uh -huh. When people go into multi-organ failure, a lot of times you can't see the forest for the trees. So I'm hoping that this is the roadmap through the forest for, for some of these um, CDIs that are in these facilities getting hit. Right. You cover viral sepsis here, encephalopathy, shock, leukopenia. Uh, a ton of information here, so this is this is a great resource. Thanks for pulling this together. Yeah, and it may be that there'll be additions to this. Um, someone sent me an article on cytokine storms. Uh, that's something that is not really well known in in our neck of the woods. So there's going to be other things that pop up, um, you know, that have to do with COVID that we just are finding out. So right. it'll be a work in progress. Likely. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was that we know that although COVID-19 affects folks across the spectrum and it, it is impacting um, some younger, healthier folks, as we've seen in the news, you know, the, the hardest hit are obviously uh, older folks, those in high-risk populations with underlying health conditions and, and comorbidities. Um, you know, I, so you're, you're going to be seeing more complex patients and have to be looking at some of these comorbid conditions as you're doing chart review. So I don't, I don't know if you had any, any advice there just on the patient mix that we could be seeing, Dawn. Um, you know, we, I shared an article well, it, this morning, too, just about uh, potential cardiac problems that may occur, and it's, it's really uh, evolving quickly here. It is. And, you know, we don't know what we don't know yet. And that's the scary thing with this um, virus. And as it started out with those with comorbid conditions, you know, the diabetes, the hypertension, certainly the lung disease, heart disease, certainly any immunosuppressing type of condition and or drugs such as steroids, uh, which a lot of our lungers are on, right? They're on daily prednisone or 
different types of uh, steroids that suppresses immunity. So we started out with that, and that certainly still is an ongoing factor. But now we're seeing, as, as to your point, Brian, we're starting to see more of the younger populations. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of deaths that are starting to trend down in age, which is also uh, a great concern for all of us. And I think that when we approach a record, we just have to stay grounded. You know, for those of you who have been in CDI for a while, you know your stuff. The comorbid conditions haven't changed. It's just there's a little bit of, you know, panic in, in the world today that every one of us are feeling. So you may be a little unsettled from that or your own personal situations involving this virus. So just take a deep breath. You know your stuff. For those of you who've really spent time in learning the clinical indicators to the most common things we see, you're going to, you're going to be fine. Just remember the comorbid conditions are what they are. They haven't changed. The virus is what's changed. And it's just the virus is central, but we're not really treating the virus. We're treating what the virus does to each body system. So just take it from a cephalocaudal approach. Take it from head to toe. Go by each body system and look at how they're doing. You know, if you see labs that are counter, you know, counter indicating what is being written, then that's where your work, that's where your focus and your work lies to start digging in that. See if there's indicators there that equal a diagnosis that's not being named. And I think that's going to be huge for this condition until we get a grip on the virus. I think that's where a lot of our questions are going to be because it's going to be extremely important for us to capture the acuity level of these patients because COVID is presenting as asymptomatic patients to mild to moderate all the way to critical multi-organ failure and death. So for those that are in the latter categories for mortality scoring and everything else, we really do need to capture the acuity level on these patients. How we go about getting that information from the providers, that I think is going to be the tricky part that management is going to have to collaborate on, like in Angie's, you know, facility. Uh -huh. So, absolutely, Dawn. Yeah. And just to tag on a little bit to what you were saying, um, the Surgeon General actually said on Tuesday that nearly 40% of hospitalizations were ages 20 to 54. 40%. So um, they're saying that even 12% uh, of the intensive care patients were tw ages 20 to 44. Those are staggering numbers now that we are getting into COVID-19. Because as you said, Don, this was thought to be more hitting the elderly community with comorbidities. Um, so yep. it's, it's hitting a lot of the younger population that are healthy too. So when we talk about comorbid uh, conditions, those young people will most likely not have um, things that our elderly do. We also have to look at the respect of um, the ones that are immunocompromised in that young uh, category as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks, mm -hmm. Don. I agree. Um, so again, mm -hmm. This is the CDI COVID-19 Survival Toolkit that we were referencing, and we'll, we'll be sharing uh, a link to that in the show notes, as we always do. I um, wanted to switch gears a little bit 
as we move from the clinical to the coding piece, uh, we have a new code out, uh, U07.1 for COVID-19. It's not effective yet. It will be implemented on April 1st. This is a sort of a rare exception to the HIPAA rules. Um, you know, COVID-19 has now been identified as a pandemic. We now have a new code effective April 1st. So um, I'm going to be pulling up a couple of references here. This one is from the CMS website. Um, it, it talks about the new code U07.1 and uh, how it it groups right now. Uh, we there, there are some, some nuances and some guidance that is a little <laughs> lacking right now with this, but we're going to kind of do our best to walk through this a little bit. Uh, Angie, you have, have been nice enough to put together uh, a couple of charts that apply to sort of uh, admissions now, you know, prior to the implementation of this code. Um, I'm pulling that up on the screen now. Maybe we could just start with some of the, the coding guidance as we know it today and then how this is going to evolve after uh, April 1st. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Um, any cases that come through as an inpatient prior to 4-1-2020, we need to utilize the CDC guidance of putting the condition that they're treating as our principal diagnosis. And then the B9729, which is um, an unspecified code for uh, coronavirus, but it is not as unspecified as a B34.2, which says the site is unknown. So the B9729 actually is for the respiratory um, coronavirus. So this is, this is where it gets a little dicey. When you get coding guidance to go by the 441, which your DRGs are listed here, yep. and then you get DRG information for after 41 when the new U07.1, which is the COVID-19 diagnosis code, goes into effect. Um, my friends at 3M were so very kind to speak to me about this yesterday because I was asking for information uh, like the information in the first chart about the APR DRGs. Uh, they don't have it created yet. They're still working on that. This code is so new that they are mapping it to the APR DRGs as we're speaking. So until that happens, uh, we won't have APR DRG information. Another thing that they told me was that the U07.1 uh, will be included in the general release for their encoder uh, for April. However, they will not have the DRGs put into place. So if you are coding U07.1, then your DRG will be ungroupable until that uh, grouper is updated. And there was not an ETA on that. So I was looking through what AHIMA and um, the uh, AHA put together for the frequently asked questions about COVID-19. It was revised again yesterday, <laughs> so there was more information. And they had a question about how, you know, should we hold patients should, or patient encounters? Should we not bill them until we get positive test results? Um, so their actual guidance was that each facility 
make their own facility-specific coding guidelines to hold that coding of inpatient admissions and outpatient encounters until the test results for COVID-19 testing are available. Um, this was news to me. <laughs> I totally had been giving opposite direction to my uh, coders, <laughs> uh, especially on the outpatient side. You know, we are trying to get those encounters out the door and I told them not to hold for those uh, test results. Once we get the test results, we're going to have to query. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sharing right here the uh, the FAQ from the. It was yes, large. Yeah, it's it's rather lengthy, and there are questions about obviously what the code is. Is it a secondary code? Uh, no, when COVID nineteen. It is not. Yep. Yep. <laughs> code uh, sequence first. Well, yep. It, it's insane that that they have this much information available to us so quickly. That is what um, I am so thankful that we are in an industry where we have leaders that can put this stuff together and get it out so quickly. Yeah. This code was just released, you know, on March 19th. Absolutely. And here we are, you know, not even a week later, and we've got guidance. Now, as we have all three talked together, this guidance seems like it's a moving target and it's ever changing every single day. But at least they're trying to get us to where we need to be so that our CDI specialists are, are know how to, you know, get the documentation they need so our coders can actually perform the job of getting us our reimbursement. Right, right, right. So we do encourage you to um, everyone to take a look at this FAQ. Uh, we'll provide a link to it. This is available on codingclinicadvisor.com. It does have some helpful questions about whether the code is you know, retroactive, uh, some of the differences with the existing codes. Um, should presumptive positive test results be coded as confirmed? Yes, positive test results should be coded as confirmed. Um, so really helpful information here from, from AHIMA and the AHA, and we also applaud them for getting this out so quickly here. This was updated, as you mentioned, Angie, as of yesterday. Um, and, of course, everything we discuss here on today's show is the best that we have it now. The this, this show is going to be posted either today or early tomorrow, and we, we anticipate more changes to come. Anything else you wanted to share with us, Angie, from, from the documents you had? I mean, this, again, I'm pulling up now the... The uh, version 37.1 of the uh, of the MSDRGs, which does talk about, um, you know, uh, the MSDRG assignments. I don't know if there's anything else. Absolutely. If you stop right there yep. and look at the DRGs that are listed, you'll see 177, 178, and 179. Yep. Um, but you also see 791 and 793. 791 and 793 are newborn DRGs. Um, now, for the newborns, the COVID-19 will not be the principal diagnosis. As we know, we have the, the newborn uh, code that has to go first. So it, in that rare instance, it will be a secondary code. Um, okay. Additionally, you see 974, 975, and 976. Those are the HIV with um, major related conditions with or without MCC and CCs. So uh, again, uh, 
that when they've got HIV as well as COVID, it's going to throw it into that ERG. All right. Well, really appreciate the, the helpful info here, Angie and, and, and Dawn as well. You guys have any um, any final words of advice, encouragement for CDI professionals as we sort of wrap up today's topic here? Brian, I want to say one quick thing in regards to the coding of this. Oh, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to have to be uh, addressed um, from some of these things, such as the secondary diagnosis, which would mean COVID was not present on admission, and that makes it a MCC. However, no one is talking about sepsis. Uh, from the coding standpoint. So, you know, we're used to having the sequencing rule with sepsis where the actual infection is a secondary. And this appears that it's going to be the opposite if a sepsis was present on admission as well as COVID. And what I've done is I've gathered just some data on the uh, DRGs uh, of 177, 178, and 179 for their relative weights and then compared that to sepsis. And it's going to be really important in our sepsis cases that we really do capture all the um, other conditions that are involved to capture that acuity level. Um, I'm afraid of, you know, we might take a little bit of a hit. And one of the things I was playing around with in the encoder, which some of this I'm just going to have to wait until after the April 1 go live date because the code isn't there in the encoder at this time, um, is to look at how event affects DRG 177, 178, and 179. Over 96 hours, we know that that is a lot of resource consumption going on there for a patient, and we want you know our facilities to um, to not take the hit for this. So that's something that I'm going to keep my eye on is on the sepsis and the coding and how all that works. So hopefully there'll be more to come. But right now we just don't know all the answers yet in the midst of the rush to put all this out. Mm -hmm. As far as CDIs go, I think get this document, remember, stay grounded, you know, look at your comorbid conditions as you would on any day, really get comfortable with your clinical indicators because your CDI reviews now more than ever, it's going to be really important to be able to identify things that are not being said. These doctors are in the weeds. They are on the front lines of the war zone. So we're going to have to kind of fill in those holes and pick up the slack a little bit with the documentation. Again, how all that is handled through the query process with the physicians, with the unique situation that we're all finding ourselves in, is largely going to be um, individualized facility to facility through the management team. And lastly, ACTUS is here to support you. Absolutely. And that's that's it. Thanks, Dawn. Anything Thank from you. your your perspective, Angie? No, I disagree with everything you just said, Dawn. And being able to get into the encoder with the the new code is going to be paramount in how we go forward. Um, however, we have to remember the DRG is not going to group until sometime in April after the general release. So. Once you get your, your encoder and the new code after April 1st, don't fret because it won't group. Just remember, it will come. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to just shift now as we wrap things up to a brief Actus update. We Just like COVID-19 is a moving target, um, a number of our 
initiatives and plans in Actus have changed um, due to the spread of the, of the virus here. Uh, you probably have seen, we, we, we did message all of our members and put this in our newsletter, but if you haven't heard yet, our 13th annual conference has been postponed. Uh, this is a message, the official message on, on the website. We were scheduled to uh, have our 13th annual conference in May, May 5th through 8th at the Mirage Hotel and Casino. Obviously, that, that could not happen. There, um, there's, there's a national crisis in hand. I don't think it needs any more explanation. We made the decision about a week and a half ago to, to postpone the program. The, the good news is we're, we're aiming for a reschedule in the late fall, probably in the November timeframe. We're working on that now, and as we get more information on this reschedule program, we will certainly let you know. We wanted to do this because we were right at the final end stage of preparation. We had more than 100 speakers, 60-odd presentations that were in the final draft and finalization stage, and we, we, we don't want to see all this great work lost. So we are attempting to reschedule the program and our events team is working diligently on this right now with contracting and, and available dates and uh, we hope to have an answer in the next one to two weeks about the rescheduled conference. Um, likewise, uh, the coronavirus has impacted our certification exams, so we offer two certifications, the CCDS and the CCDSO, which is outpatient. Uh, our, we use a third-party testing and exam development agency called PSI. PSI made the, the decision and the right one to uh, close down their testing centers effective uh, last Thursday through, uh, we're being told, April 13th. So right now, uh, you, cannot you cannot sit for the CCDS or CCDSO exams. Um, if you have, if you were already scheduled to take it, you know, once you uh, apply for the test and your eligibility is confirmed, you have, I believe, 60 days to take the test. If you're in that middle point right now, you can visit the PSI website. The link is here to reschedule your test till a later date. There is no penalty for or, or fee or anything else related to rescheduling. Um, they also have a phone number to uh, help with that if you prefer to do that over the phone. Our customer service team is ready to help you as well. If, for example, you're unable to recertify um, the recertification process, we know that CEU, CEUs have been limited, especially with the moving of our conference and many of our boot camps and other events. Uh, if you're unable to recertify in a timely basis, we will make exceptions um, for you just because of this very unique circumstance. Uh, finally, I just want to remind our members, too, that um, voting is open for the Actus Advisory Board. That part can continue because it's all being done virtually. So we have uh, six um, candidates running for four open slots on the Actus Advisory Board. Uh, very important position, the Actus Advisory Board helps us. Uh, develop guidance for the industry. A lot of the position papers you guys have read and enjoyed have been have been um, developed by our Actus Advisory Board. Um, our updates to the AHIMA Actus Query Practice Brief were done in conjunction with our Advisory Board. 
there's a lot these folks do, and we, we do have six active members now that are running uh, for the board. And if you're a member, you just have to log into the website and vote. This is it right here. I'm going to, as I always do, put the, uh, the link to this in the show notes. But essentially, this is how it looks. Um, cast your vote on this page here. Uh, first, you want to scroll down and, and take a look at our six candidates. You know, we have Christy Alexander, Texas Health Resources, Jennifer Eaton from Enjoin, Emily Emmons from Kaiser Permanente, Susan Fanton from McLaren Healthcare, Terry Ryan from Advocate Aurora Healthcare, and Amy Van Balen from Lifespan uh, are all running for the Actus Advisory Board. So, again, the six candidates, you pick four you believe are the best fit and then you hit vote pretty easy process so just take a few minutes out of your busy day to do that uh, that would be very appreciated these guys have put a lot of time and effort into to running for the board all right well that is going to do it for today's edition of the actus podcast i again want to thank angie and don for coming on today's program we are planning to be back here again in two weeks, getting back to more of our regular schedule, but it's possible there could be another show we'll see related to COVID-19 in between now and then. But our next scheduled show is on uh, Wednesday, April 8th, Deciphering Population Health. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, um, or in just in general how Actus can best serve you, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. And as a closing note, we ask you to stay healthy and safe. We're thinking of CDI professionals everywhere today and, of course, our frontline caregivers. So take care, everyone. We'll see you back here again in two weeks.